Welcome to the show, episode number 204 here on the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie. And just to reiterate to everyone that's tuned into this right now, 204 episodes into the show, one of our goals is to help you extract the greatness that is within inside of you, to peel back those layers, to get down to your true essence of who you really are in this world, to optimize your life on new levels, relationships, career, business, finances, joy, happiness, and beyond. But how are we going to do that? On this episode today, we're going to help you understand your brain on a whole new level, the functionality, the processing, and beyond. Today's guest, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor, is a Harvard-trained and published neuroscientist. In 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, documenting her experience with stroke and eight-year recovery, spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list and is still routinely the number one book about stroke on Amazon. Dr. Jill is a dynamic teacher and public speaker who loves educating all age groups, academic levels, as well as corporations about the beauty of our human brain and its ability to recover from trauma. In 2008, she gave the first TED Talk that ever went viral on the internet, which now has well over 26 million views. Also in 2008, Dr. Jill was chosen as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World and was the premier guest on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Series webcast. Today, Dr. Jill is joining us and she is going to teach us about whole brain living. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Dr. Jill, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you. Absolutely love your journey, your story. Really excited to decode that and amplify it to everyone today. So thank you for joining us. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited too. I think this will be a lot of fun. It will. It will. I promise you that. Now, first question for you, this is how we kick off every episode. And like I just mentioned, we're almost 200 episodes in. So every answer to this question has been super unique, super different. I'm curious, how does Dr. Jill define success? Joy. Joy. Mm. If I find joy, if I'm doing something that brings me joy, then that's to me is a personal success. But that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in living a life that has meaning. Mm. I love that. Now, here's a question for you. Now, our audience is typically millennial-ish, um, give or take, right? My question is, how do you know what brings you joy because society tends to add all of these things to us, right? Society shapes us in a way where we need to fit in from a primal perspective. So I'm curious, like, how did you finally realize what was bringing you joy and not the person society created? Uh, well, I think that I was, you know, given this incredible gift of having a major stroke. <laughs> okay. yep. And 
by having that stroke, I, at the age of 37, I lost my left hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And the left hemisphere is the portion of our brain that has a past, a present, and a future. And it relates me to the, uh, the external world. So it is our left brain that is culturally um, demanded upon and has expectations for. And when I lost that, I gained the experience of an uninhibited present moment life. Mm -hmm. And in the present moment, the experience of the brain, the right hemisphere in the present moment is one of joy. And it was an incredible gift, even though I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life in the external world. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. I experienced a feeling of deep love and peacefulness and gratitude and joy. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, what do I do with this? Because the right hemisphere by itself is completely non efficient mm -hmm. and ineffective. You have to have a left hemisphere in order to be a functional person in the world. So, how do I go back to being? able in the external world and retain this incredible sense of peacefulness and joy and love that I gained. And so I had to figure out how to do that and, and still, you know, essentially join what they call the rat race without becoming a rat again. Mm. Yes, I totally get that. Now, what is your advice for the individuals that are listening to this right now to stay present without having to experience a stroke? So there are when so when I experienced the stroke and I lost the left hemisphere and then I had these characters in my right hemisphere this peaceful euphoria it took eight years for me to rebuild and regain the cellular structure and abilities of that left hemisphere. I had to learn to, to walk. I had to learn to talk. I had to learn arithmetic. I had to learn everything again. And the experience of the right here, right now, right hemisphere, it doesn't have the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So to the right hemisphere, it is a collective, it's a part of the collective whole. I am a member of humanity. And to the left brain, I have a group of cells that defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I become an ego, an individual, a self with all of this data about me and my relationship and how I define myself in relationship to that societal norm. So I think that getting to know the different parts of our brain is like this. It's kind of like if we understand how to use a computer then we can better use a computer. And this beautiful brain is this magnificent collection of cells. And the better we get to know which groups of cells we're actually listening to and experiencing moment by moment gives us the freedom and the power to then choose wh who, wh which of my characters inside of myself do I want to be? Right. This is all right. So this is going to be a super powerful episode. I could already tell. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that you've talked about your stroke a million and one times. So my question to you is, what is a question you wish more people would ask you about your stroke that you might not talk about? Um, huh. Why did I come back? So that's powerful because I, I know your story. I've 
I, I mean, I've listened to a million and one interviews. Like I'm getting the chills just saying that the way you okay. described your experience, especially when it came to that outer body experience. And, you know, you might have different words to explain that. Yeah. I found that really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so why did you come back? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the ultimate question. Why did I come back? You know, Matt, when... So I was a teacher, uh, teaching and performing research at Harvard. I mean, I was climbing the, the golden ladder of my career. Mm. And at the age of 37, this hemorrhage happens in the left half of my brain. And it wipes out the me, the individual, the identification of self and embodiment as a individual. Um, I lost language. I lost all ability to communicate with the external world. I lost... Uh, my position on the hierarchy in society. Uh, I lost all my relationships because I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. I lost everything. I lost, uh, I lost all my stress. I lost everything that had to do with my normal life. Right. And right. in the absence of that, whenever I look at someone who has any kind of an illness, I ask what have, not what have they lost, but what have they gained because of this experience? And I lost all the stress and all the relationship with self and the external world. But what I gained was this incredible sense of peacefulness, this blissful euphoria. And I was all but dead. I mean, I was as disconnected as anybody could possibly be and not be dead. And in existing in that space of perfect euphoria and this overwhelming sense of love. And I thought to myself, you know, this is eternity. This is the feeling that I will probably have when I'm absolutely, when the cord is cut and I'm totally gone, whatever that is. And I was so absolutely enormous thinking, well, I, you know, what do I do with this? How do I even try when it, it was unfathomable to me that as big as I perceive myself to be when I don't have myself in this tiny little body working this mechanism, this billions and trillions and 50 trillion beautiful cells, they are working so hard just so I can be me. What do, what do I do when I'm just big as the universe? Mm -hmm. And, and there was a moment in there where it was like, but I didn't die. And there was this tiny little part of me, this tiny little gleeful part that's, that's like, I survived, I survived. I mean, you know, what do I do with this? Yeah, because, you know, I'm anything but alive, but I'm still alive. You know, I'm not dead. And it was, it was really at that moment having to decide well, I could exist, you know, in this condition forever, or I can try, I can try. And, you know, when our soul says, you know, I'm in the body, I'm not dead. So whatever I don't, whatever that is, I don't know. Um, but I know what it meant to be alive and to be thriving as a healthy, productive human being. And so I'm worlds apart from where I was. And I think it is that impetus of, of a true sense of gratitude that I'm alive. Mm. Nothing else, just I'm alive. And the gift of what it means to be alive. I mean, 
forget the people you know, forget your job, forget money, forget everything, and go all the way off into the phenomenon of, wow, I am a living, breathing, amazing collection of cells. Mm. And I'm here one moment and I'm gone the next, but I'm here in this moment and I have the power to choose who and how I want to be based on what we, what I am. How do I create a life? How do I run the cells in my brain that bring me joy? Mm -hmm. How do I look at the circumstances and the situations in the external world that I say, you know, that may be great for other people, but that's not for me. That's not what I want. That's not what thrills my soul. So maybe thrilling my soul is doing my art or doing my music or doing my athletics or being in the water where I just feel underneath the water and the light goes away. How do I find that peace inside of my soul from which I then bring the rest of my being into a life that I want to live a life that I can thrive in. Right. That's powerful. Now I'm curious, do you feel like you had the power to come back or was there a greater power for the sake of political correctness here? Was there a greater power that allowed you to come back? I was alive and I made a conscious choice to try. Mm. Um, that was a conscious choice. You know, I, I had the choice of not trying. I could have uh, remained in a vegetative condition for as long as my body would have survived, but I was willing to try. Right. And if I'm willing to try now to the right brain, there's no failure. You know what failures are going to be. I was already all but dead. I mean, I had nowhere to go, but up. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so it was like, well, I can smolder as this, you know, organic lump of waste, which is what I had essentially become, or I can take this organic lump of waste and try to, to build something, create some order. And that was a conscious choice. Um, uh, it was a conscious choice a million times a day. Um, the agony of recovery, just trying. It's like, it's like you know, um, if, if your brain doesn't understand mathematics or your brain doesn't understand engineering or your brain doesn't understand music, or your brain doesn't understand a foreign language and you can't even hear the distinction between different R's, much less produce them. It is painful to try. It, it is painful to push yourself into that unknown with a willingness and a trust that, well, I may get nothing out of this. This may be an effort shot in the wind or it might push a cell into a connection with another cell, which might create a circuit, which might create learning, which might create higher levels of ease with learning. Learning is exactly that. That's what's happening at the level of ourselves. Some things we learn easily, some things we learn with, you know, oh my God, struggle. Some of us forget it. I'm not even going to try. Um, but it's a matter of differentiation and the brain 
is this amazing organ that is just it is designed to create order where there is no order to create sense out of something that has no sense and the only way to do that is to be willing to try to create differentiation to create bigger levels of understanding so that oh yes i can now play the piano well at least i can play a scale which is more than I could do before I even knew what a piano was or understood that if I hit these different notes, differentiate different sounds and then be able to match a different sound combination in the external world, like uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And there I get to twinkle, twinkle, little star. Oh my gosh, you know, that's step one. So at a cellular level, if we're willing to observe and be aware and try and then go away from it and sleep. Sleep is this amazing time when, you know, all the cells are living creatures. They, they eat, they create waste. And when we go to sleep, the waste cleaners come out like the garbage cleaners in the city come in and clean out the waste so that we can be functional again. And uh, when we really value what this beautiful thing is inside of our head and we figure out how do I work with my brain cells in order to be the best me, which I will define for myself, I won't define what is the best Matt, then we have that power. Right. Now let's talk about the brain. I'm coming to you from a complete student perspective here because this is not my realm whatsoever, but it should be to an extent if I want to live my best life, like you were just saying right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what is the perfect balance? If there is at all, uh, right. what is the perfect balance of left, right hemisphere? Like, where should I be living more? And when I say I, I mean, just in general, right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a matter of where should you be living more? I think it's a matter of no, when you're living in which part of your brain Okay. and come into the life from the value structure and the intention of the right brain. Mm -hmm. So the right brain cares about all of us. The left brain cares about me and mine. So me and mine, yes, we're very important. But if I'm all about me and mine, then I come into uh, how much do I have? Um, I'm in competition with you. Um, I'm uh, climbing that hierarchy and you're up there. So I'm going to beat you in order to get up there. And I want to be better and I want to be this and I want to be that. And I want more and I want a bigger house. And you're in New York City. You want a bigger apartment. And oh, my gosh, you know, the cost, which means I want to have more money. I need more material realism, blah, blah, blah. So that's the value of the left brain. But the value of the right brain is how do I take this life that I have? Because I am alive. I'm this magnificent creature capable of breathing and thinking and speaking and, and all of it. How do I take what I am and recognize that I am in relationship, a symbiotic relationship, not just with my fellow man, but with my planet? How do I how do I behave in such a way that allows me to make a contribution that is positive to the collective whole, not just me, the individual? 
Now, I need the tools of me, the individual, in order to be productive and have an identity and functional in the external world. But if I come into this, and we all come into this through this value structure of the right brain being a part of a collective whole, then we will create together a very different world than if we're all coming in for me, 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 which is kind of where we are right now as a society in the United States. I was just going to mention that, like, I feel like society has put, and just based off of your explanation there, I feel like society has put such pressure on that left side, you know, like, and I, whether it's from social media, whether it's from, you know, just the generations, right? Like I'm hearing you speak and I'm like, holy cow, like I am left a lot. You know, I, yeah. I, I feel that at least. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that, you know, like, yeah. is there any way that we can combat that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, and I and, and um, uh, in the book, Whole Brain Living, which you have, the last second to last chapter is about over the past 100 years, what has technology done to our brains Mm -hmm. and how has that influenced the generational differences that exist now in our society so you said before you're a millennial i'm a boomer you're my children right the boomers most of us who are millennials it's the boomers who are are our parents and our parents the boomers parents were our parents are the ones who fought world war ii well we all know how horrific that experience was and thank goodness they did that because we're still speaking english over here right so the 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 gi generation Uh, Our parents, they come back from war and they've been through uh, the pandemic of 1918. They come back or 17. They come back through World War One. They come back through World War Two. They go through uh, the devastation of the the economic crash of the stock market in 1929. I mean, they did not have a blissful childhood. Mm -hmm. And so then the war's over, they come in and they have children. And what do they do? They care about the family unit. They create homes and families and they, they build an economic world that is amazing. They build, they boom America into this, this new economy. And they want us, their children, the boomers to have everything. And everything means love and support and and everything material. And so then we go through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, big hair, big colors, big everything. And But we become extremely materialistic. So the boomer population, now all of a sudden our parents, they would work a 40-hour week and they would come home and they would have dinner at the table. Well, the boomers, it's like, honey, I can't come home because if I put 60 hours in this week and I wear these dark circles under my my eyes like they're my badge of honor, then I can win us a trip to Hawaii, you know, and it's like external, external materialism, materialism. And so then we have children and they are the millennials and we as boomers, we learned 
all the left brain skills of reading, writing, arithmetic, all the how to do everything through left brain skill sets, school, uh, schooling. So say, for example, I learned the multiplication um, just remote, you know, 12 times 12 is 144. Do I think about it? No, it's an automatic, it's a memory. But we teach our children through computers and computers now teach left brain skills through the right brain. So the boomers come out with a right brain and a strong left brain, and we skew our values to the left brain because we want more, 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 more. We want the bigger house. We want the boat. We want the toys. We want the vacation. We want our kids to get an excellent uh, uh, academics. Um, and so we're all about that left brain. So then we give our children, your generation, the millennials, tools that look like computers. So you're in bed with a tiny little bear called Teddy Ruspin. Did you have one of those? I didn't. I didn't. Well, many of your peers did. But so now in the womb, the millennials are actually in their cribs with a computer that talks to them and that learns self-soothing through this, this apparatus. And so then through technology, you learn two plus three equals five, not by just memorizing those tables, but you learn two chickens plus three cows equals five animals visually. So the millennials learn left brain skills through right brain tools. So you guys, you like doing everything as a collective whole because it's about the collective whole. It's about how do we be together? How do we work together? How do we, how do we, how do we do it? But how do we do it collectively? Where the left brainers, they're not about that. So now this is, this is why the boomers are going, you know, the millennials are running these companies and I don't know how to fit in. I don't know where I fit in. And the millennials are going, oh my God, these businesses that these boomers have, they want me to sl be slave labor. And it's like, I don't want to be slave labor. I want to actually have a life and enjoy my experience and learn. And it's like two worlds apart because it's that value structure of those two hemispheres. Right. That's so incredible hearing you break that down like that. Now, you mentioned your book, Whole Brain Living. I have it right here. I started to dive into this. I'm really excited for it, but I'm curious. First question for you is, why did you decide to write this now? Yes. So I, I when I gave that TED Talk, um, and if your your people haven't heard the TED Talk, you might want to go to TED.com and look up my stroke of insight. Uh, my, my TED Talk was the first TED Talk to ever go viral. So Ted and I kind of got famous together. And all this time, I thought I was looking for a Jack. I was actually looking <laughs> for a Ted, you know, for Jack and Jill. So, um, so anyway, so I ended that talk by saying we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And we can step into our left hemisphere consciousness, blah, 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 our right hemisphere consciousness, which do you choose and when? And to me, that was me giving the gift to the world that of what I learned from this experience with stroke. Well, um, it was great for me uh, because I got uh, amazing uh, accolade. I got amazing attention, but that wasn't what I was after. I was after us being reverent to our own life and reverent of our own brain and our reverence of one another. Mm. 
And so for me, that was a miss. I mean, it, 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 it missed. So it was like, okay. And then I had like 300,000 people write to me and say, how do I do that? You had to have a stroke in order to find that peaceful euphoria of your right brain. But how do I do that without a stroke? And I didn't have an answer for that because I knew what left brain was. I knew what right brain was, but I didn't know how to get you out of the left brain into the right brain. And then I was giving a, a keynote at a conference and I said to the audience, you know, I love talking about the brain in because people love to hear about the brain. And, you know, we have amygdala and we have hippocampi and we have anterior cingulate gyrus and it's beautiful. And, oh my gosh, you want to talk about the brain? I said, but the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala, one in each hemisphere. And there was literally an audible gasp in the, in the room. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, people don't realize that we have two emotional systems, one in each hemisphere, and we have two thinking brains, one in each hemisphere. And if people think we only have one emotional system, then emotional conflict doesn't make any sense. And if emotional conflict doesn't make any sense, then we can't differentiate between our past, our future, and our present. And that was the key for me to realize People need to understand that not only do we have two emotional systems, but one is the emotion of the present moment, the right here, right now. And then we have thinking in that right hemisphere that is thinking of the right here, right now, present moment, where I'm open and expansive and connected to everything. And then I have this beautiful left brain and the emotions of the left brain is all my pain from the past and my fear of the future. And then my thinking in the left hemisphere is my rational brain in relation to the external world and creating order in the external world. And that was, it just unfolded for me. And it was like, people just need to know we have four anatomically different modules of cells inside of our brain. And each one has its own character personality. And if we know who those characters are, we can then recognize and differentiate when I'm being which of those groups of cells. And then I have the power to choose. Well, right now, I'd rather go be my character three playful, or I'd like to go be my character four walk in nature and feel connected to God and all that is and, and be a part of the cosmos and be my love. Or I might need to go into my character one left thinking and go and be busy in the world and follow my to-do list. And oh my gosh, I need to look at my calendar because I might have to talk to Matt today at 11. Right. Or I might be caught in my pain from the past. And then how do I use the rest of my brain to love and support that part of me so I can self-soothe myself out of that pain back into other parts of my brain? I love this. So question for you on what you were just explaining in regards to the emotional left and right. Now, if I catch myself right after this call in a daydream about, you know, me getting sad because I had a breakup with a girl, right? But I'm, but I'm aware of that. Is that the right brain tapping in and me becoming more present? That is your, well, they're all there. They're all there and they're all paying attention all of the time, but somebody's dominating. 
It's like all the energy in the brain is going to go to a group of cells and run the circuits. Right. So if you're now after this and then you're thinking, oh gosh, I wonder what she's doing. And oh my gosh. And I'm so sad. And oh my gosh. And you feel that none of this is bad. Cells are cells, but it's so important to recognize every ability I have is because I have cells that are performing that function. Mm -hmm. So my ability to feel sadness or jealousy or, or whatever envy or, or grief or joy, that's a group of cells inside of my brain. It's a circuit that I'm running. So I can be caught up in the woe is me life is a bummer. And I can decide I want to stay in that because it's so delicious it is delicious and it it's you know it wants to run on automatic and and i stay absolutely miserable for hours if i choose to because then after i talk to you well now i'm going to go talk to another friend of mine about how unhappy i am and that person did this and this person did that and life is unfair and damn it nah, 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 nah. and then once i hang up with them then i go no i know i'm worried about this and i'm worried about that and i can i can turn my little character too which is what i call that left thinking character i can turn that part of me into a lifestyle but the thing is that i'm all of these characters and i want to be able to have all i want to be fully human i want to have my pain from the past because i can tap into it i can feel it i can feel alive i can feel my misery i tell people i don't mind if you're feeling miserable as long as you remember to enjoy it mm. because it's delicious there's nothing more delicious than being miserable than perhaps grief. And grief is like, oh my gosh, devastation. Take me to the, take me to my knees and rip out my soul. And it's like, oh my God, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm capable of feeling these emotions, but I don't have to make it a lifestyle. I can then have my left thinking tissue come in, which I call my character one. And this is the part that relates to the external world. And she wants to come in and she wants to fix it. So she comes to my little emotional unhappy and says is there something immediate that you know is there are we in danger and and it's like no i'm just going to be unhappy i'm just going to be miserable i'm going to be hateful i'm going to be shameful i'm going to feel guilt or i'm going to guilt someone else or i'm going to blame someone else I, 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 <laughs> and, you know and then and then my character what i call character four the part of my right thinking brain that that loves and is open and filled with gratitude that i'm even capable of experiencing misery that part can come in and soothe my little character too, who's hooked up in the misery. And then eventually my, my emotions of the present moment, which is right here, right now, fun oriented, creative, open, uh, uh, wants to go on an adventure and uh, says to my little character too miserable says, come on, let's go chase the snakes, you know, let's go see what what's going on. So we have all of these different parts of ourselves. And when we get to know these four characters, then we have the power to choose. So, so the title of the book, very specific, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and the four characters that drive our life. And when we know each of those four characters, then we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And mm. it's personal freedom. Yeah. So I clearly don't know the four characters of myself yet because I don't always make the right choices. <laughs> like, I definitely don't. 
And isn't that the way it goes? You know, people say, now, Matt, couldn't you made a better choice? And it's like, uh, don't you think if I had known I'd had a better choice, I would have made a better choice. And once you know your four characters, then it's like, okay, uh, let's go back to uh, the, the gal who you broke up with or broke up with you. And it's like, okay, well, now she's called. And it's like, I want to see you. And it's like, character one is thinking, um okay uh character two's going oh my god i love her but i hate her she brings me love she makes me high she makes me low and uh character four is going you know we learn from love we learn from our mistakes yeah. <laughs> you know you can go do that again um uh go don't go it's you know character one's going don't go back to what made, gave you pain and character three's going yeah, it sounds like fun to me. What's a day? You know, it could be fun. You know, she was great. So, so then we, we make a decision. One of those four characters will make a decision. Um, but bringing them all on, I call it, this is our brain team. These four characters become our brain team and they can chat with one another in what I call a brain huddle, just like any team. They make a better communication and decision when they're in huddle. So the, it's called brain, B-R-A-I-N becomes the acronym. B is breath. Why breath? Breath, when we focus on our breath, it's the first thing we do when we're born. It's the last thing we do before we die. It's like this train we can always jump on in order to come to the present moment. So focus on my breath. Okay, B, here I am. Recognize which character called the huddle. So, okay. Was it character one saying, okay? Was it character two in my pain? Was it character three saying, I love my life. I'm having such a good time. Let's have a huddle. Or is it character four saying, I'm so grateful that I'm alive. Come on, everybody. Let's have a huddle. So somebody recognize who calls the huddle. And I encourage people to do this literally 20 or 30 times a day. I do it constantly all day. And I do that to exercise it regularly because it's cells and circuit. And for evolution of humanity, we want all parts of our brain openly communicating and loving one another. So uh, be breath, bring your mind to the present moment. R, recognize who called the brain huddle. A, appreciate the fact we're all in here. Now, I might be Helen right now. That's what I call my character one. I might be Helen right now. I'm busy. I'm teaching. I'm on the phone. I'm doing the to-do list. I'm being punctual. I'm creating order. I'm defining right, wrong, good, bad, all that. That's Helen. Or I might be then my little character two, my emotional pain, or I might be playful, but we're all here as soon as we hit appreciate, A, B-R-A, appreciate, I, inquire, who do I want to be? Inquire, which one do I want to be next? Make that decision. This is where you will make better choices because now they're all in there. And when all your brain uh, characters are online in the huddle and you're inquiring which one's going to make that decision, as soon as your character four, which is love, comes in to that huddle, you're going to make a better choice. Mm. Now, automatically, yeah, are are the four characters ever cool with the same game plan? Like always. Are, are, okay. And that's the point. That's the right. point. Because ultimately, we want what's best for for all of us. Yes. Yes. You know, and if I'm coming from, so the N 
in brain stands for navigate, navigate the next moment by moment by moment. So it might be appropriate for me to jump into my character one uh, and then something might happen and, and I have to shift into my character three because that's a better choice. Uh, or I might get really angry with you and now I'm in my character two. Uh, and then I might say, let's go for a walk with God. And um, I go and I meditate and I go into my character four. So um, yeah, they're, they're all together. And, and at the very first question, I'm going to go right back to the beginning. What did you ask me? How do you define success? And what did I say? Joy. Exactly. And joy for me, as long as I know what, what brings me purpose then I will make all of my decisions based on that part of me. And they're all in agreement. I love that. In order for me to achieve the answer to your original question. And that may be a different answer for everybody. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of being human, right? Like we're all unique. Uh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Now, if someone that picks up this book could only take away one thing from it, what would you want that one thing to be? We have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be. Mm. I love that's that. That's it. Yeah. That's the power of what we are as living beings. We, you know, we didn't get born with a manual and how to get it all right. This book, Whole Brain Living, is kind of that manual. It's a roadmap to who you are. And the better you can differentiate what's going on inside of yourself and you recognize, oh, yeah, I heard that, Helen. Or little Abby, you know, calm down. It'll be okay. You know, or it's like, uh, you know, let's go play. Now is a perfect moment to go jump in the lake and get out of all that other stuff that is just bombarding me. And, you know, we have the power to choose. We have the power to choose who right. and how we want to be in the world that makes sense i love it i know i need to get you out of here dr jill i'm gonna have two more questions for you okay. uh I, I usually have three but i've already asked you one um first question is what is a piece of advice that you were given that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you but proved to be true oh wow patience patience why why was that given to you i did not like patience I was not a patient person when I was young. <laughs> I did not like patience. I wanted what I wanted and I wanted it now. Hmm. Patience and it will pay off. Patience. Yeah, I love that. I don't have patience either, by the way. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one for you too then. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, last question for you. If you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, if you're hopping yeah. on more podcasts, writing more books, hopping on more stages, doing more TED Talks, what would that one piece of advice be? Our number one job as light living beings is to love one another. Yeah. Period. Mm. Our number one job is to love one another. Yeah, I agree Period. with that. I appreciate that too. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Now, Dr. Jill, I'm going to make sure that the link to get the book is in the show notes, websites, all that good stuff. Are you on social? Where are, are you hanging out on social? Uh, I will be soon. My team is saying, Jill, you got to go Instagram. So I'm going to actually have a good time with Instagram because my little character three is going to like go Instagram. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I'm going to make it fun. I love that. Awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to be on the lookout for that. We'll make sure all relative links are in the show notes of this episode. Dr. Jill, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to hop on here. Had an absolute blast. You are absolutely amazing to say the least. So thank you again. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate your time and to your, your audience. Our number one job is to love one another. Agreed. Thank you. Perfect.
Thank you, Matt. And there you have it, episode number 204 with our friend, Dr. Jill Bull-Taylor. Although this wasn't mentioned earlier in the show, you're still listening to this episode. So here's what we're going to do. We received such amazing feedback last week when we rolled out the new initiative of you sharing this episode or a episode, and we're going to do something for you as well. Although we're putting out this content, we want to incentivize you to make sure you're a beacon of light in the people around you's life, right? Whether that means you're sharing it in your group chats or on social or wherever. However, if you show us that you shared this episode, we're going to do something for you and we're going to share kindness with you back. We're going to share that light right back at you. So make sure you get in touch with me personally. I'm across all the socials. You could find me in the show notes of this episode. Or if you want to DM the show, Decoding Success on Instagram as well, you could do that. Just show us that you got the word out there about this episode and we're going to take care of you. Make sure you check out Dr. Jill Bull Taylor in the show notes of this episode. Her books are incredible. Her work is incredible. Her TED Talk is freaking incredible. Everything about her is amazing. Thank you for tuning into this as always. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.